so today we are going to continue in our series uh, on, called Dear Skeptic, which isn't a light series either. It hasn't been. We've taken on some really challenging topics. And, um, and today's topic is, uh, is, is one where we're just trying to address some of the ideas that people on the outside of Christian faith, folks who are skeptical of Christian faith, have when they look to the, at Christian faith. And, uh, and today's topic is uh, actually... I think the best way to, to, to frame it would be this. Jesus is the only way. We're dealing really with the, uh, the nature of Christianity and the sense that people have that really Jesus is the only way. It takes that kind of exclusive tone to it. And so I'm going uh, to address that this morning. We'll be in multiple places in the scripture. And um, let's go ahead and pray before we get into it. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We know that you are good and that uh, you call us each by name and that you love us and that you want good things for us, Lord. And I just pray as we come again this morning as your people, united in our love and your saving grace, Lord, that we would um, open our hearts uh, so that our minds could understand that we would have a willingness to see, to think through this, Lord, and that, that, that most of all, as we wrestle with this thing, that we would see your grace and your love out ahead of us and how beautiful it is and how much it moves us forward, Lord. Pray that that would happen this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. You are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So at some point in my childhood, uh, seven, eight years old, I remember my best friend Justin, his dad, started building them a tree house and this big, massive tree at their place. And I had only heard of such thing as a tree house at that point in my life. And I was so, I was so excited because I had seen pictures, I had friends that had told me about it, and here was the real thing happening. And I remember walking uh, day by day as his dad built it and seeing the ladder go up the tree and the platform start to take formation and just standing there salivating, thinking I'm going to be up in that tree house soon and I will rule, rule the world. Um, I was so excited about it. And the day finally came that, uh, that this tree house, uh, we were all invited to come over. And I remember just making a beeline to this tree when we got there, so excited. And I started climbing up the stairs, and immediately I heard this voice up above me say this, no little kids allowed. No little kids allowed. And it didn't at first register what was happening. Um, I remember, I don't know, maybe I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Too bad for those little kids. And so I, I think I just kept climbing up the ladder, and then, and then I looked up. And there was this kid, uh, and he looked at me and said, no, you, I'm talking to you, you're not allowed up here. And it was, it was this kid named Jesse Cooster from <laughs> our neighborhood who was mostly uh, shirtless and barefoot and savage. Um, he was terrifying. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I recognized that I, the seven-year-old shrimp, uh, had no chance of getting up into that treehouse that day. And I hung my seven-year-old head and went home really upset. Um, and and, and I, I bet that many of you all have been there before. Uh, I bet all of us have had some experience, 
some uh, activity, some group that we wanted to be a part of that we weren't allowed to be, that we were excluded from. And, and my gut tells me, actually, many of us have experienced that in much more serious forms than, uh, any, than what I mentioned just here. Uh, and I, I know you have, because um, ex- excluding one another is something that we humans regularly do and really have always done. Uh, we begin as kids and we continue through adulthood. And that's because it's part of our human nature In Christian faith, we actually call it part of our sinful nature, but from the elementary schoolyard to the high-rise office in downtown Houston, we humans are picking and choosing and keeping each other out. And the Christian uh, worldview, the Christian today, has a couple of challenges when it comes to exclusion. Firstly, there has been a kind of exclusion that I think the church needs to acknowledge as sin and repent of, right? And this is one of the, the biggest challenges because the reality is, is the church has, has practiced very illicit forms of exclusion that have really been nothing but dormant racism or, or various discriminations, and it has driven people away from Jesus. It has caused harm. Uh, there's a lesser-known story from Gandhi's life, actually, where he was, um, he, was, he was in South Africa, he was younger, and he was actually seeking after the truth. He had been reading the Gospels. He was interacting with the person of Jesus. And he, uh, one morning, decided he was going to continue and go to a church. And so he, he, he heads off to this church. He gets to the front door. And uh, because of his brown skin, he was not let in. And so Gandhi had this horrible experience of racism uh, that was part of uh, a Christian history that is horrible, that's shameful, that's one that we need to acknowledge and and repent of. And it makes me wonder, actually, if it wasn't that experience, probably some others that led Gandhi to make his very famous statement, you may or may not be familiar with it, where he was asked about Christianity and he said, I like their Christ, I do not like their Christians. Uh, Secondly, and here's where it starts getting more complex, There is another kind of exclusivity that's actually central to the claims of Christian faith. It is the claim that Jesus alone connects people back to God, Uh, that Jesus is the only one who can save. And this idea is a biblical idea. It comes from a number of places in the Bible and really the entire theology of Scripture, but perhaps the most well-known is from the very mouth of Jesus himself, in John 14, 6, where he said these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus there is making an exclusive, unqualified, unconditional statement. He is saying from his very lips, there is no way to God except through him. And if you study the context, you understand what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. And it's because of this scripture, and like I said, many others, that Christian people throughout the ages have exclusively believed, just as Jesus said, he is the only way uh, to, to God, to heaven. And, that, and, um, and that's a tough position today. That, that's actually a really tough understanding of things because we are living in a time 
that has, has uh, become increasingly aware of exclusion in its most negative forms. And, and as also being increasingly, at least trying to be more respectful of other people and their beliefs. And this message from Christianity then, uh, what it ends up feeling like today for a lot of people is a narrow-minded arrogance, like an unfair kind of exclusion. And I personally don't believe that it is. I'll explain that in a bit. But I, I think that's the reality of the perception. And I've talked to a, a bunch of people, skeptical people who have this position. We've even talked to Christians who are wrestling with this. Um, there are good people on the outside of Christian faith who look at that idea and say it's like Christians have built this big, beautiful treehouse called heaven, and everyone wants to get in, but the moment somebody puts their hands to the ladder and starts climbing up, if they don't believe exactly what they do, right, it's like there's this Christian voice that condescends down and says, you are not allowed. I think that's how people do perceive it, and, and they don't like it, and there is no shortage of people who publicly have spoken out against this idea. Just to name a couple of voices, there's a fellow who's a well-known author called Rabbi Shmoli Botic, and he said this, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. He really doesn't like uh, this message in Christianity. Um, here is the words of Gandhi, um, who we mentioned earlier. My position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. First thing I want to say uh, in response to, to all that is I think the truth is that, that Christians, we wrestle with the notion of exclusivity in Christianity. Uh, I, would, I would tell skeptics, I always tell skeptics that I know no uh, Jesus-loving person who feels good about friends and family who have not chosen to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and the implications of that, right? We struggle with the implications of that as much as anyone else. And let me tell you, I, I and I know others who have lived in other parts of the world uh, have really had to deal with this in a head-on way where there are entire groups of people who have different religious beliefs. I lived in Cairo for a summer, and there were days where I, I walked in seas of people where I was the only white soul around, and I really wrestled with the fact that, that there were thousands of Egyptians, 98% uh, Muslim, who did not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That, that's hard. That, that's not easy for anyone to, to deal with. And the second thing I want to say here, uh, especially to skeptical people, is that we Christians also have a desire to be inclusive. Alongside this, this increased cultural awareness of discrimination, um, we have a common distaste with everyone for exclusivity. Uh, we, we, we don't want to be exclusive. We want the opposite of exclusivity, which is what? Inclusivity. And that's, that's what we want in America. That's what everybody wants. Christians, too, to be accepting and open of all people. And, and, I, and, and I, I think that's a reality. Our, our hearts and minds wrestle in between these things. But I, I think one of the things that has really helped me deal with, with this issue, and I think a lot of Christians, and maybe I can help you guys this morning, 
is to have, have done some deeper thinking here and to have a, 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 a stronger conversation. And, and that's what I want to do. Um, I, let me start here. I actually found a distinction uh, done by somebody here that I thought was really helpful. Let me share it. Historically, there have actually been two kinds of inclusivism. Um, the older version is something called traditional inclusivism. And here's the idea. The set of beliefs are absolutely true, and other beliefs are also true insofar as they agree. So in other words, you are right, and I am right to the extent with which I agree with you. Another way to think about it is there is a right, and we are right, we are true to the extent that we agree with that truth. Um, I, I think that traditional exclusivism is logical. I think it makes sense. I actually uh, appreciate this perspective, and, uh, and I think culturally this is where we used to be in, in America. We, um, we had an understanding of traditional inclusivism, that there was a truth and that we all were seeking it out. We, and, and because of that, we, uh, we used words like tolerance, right? We may not have all agreed on everything, but there was this ability to have a mutual respect in traditional inclusivism that allowed a Christian to look at a Buddhist and say, there's a lot of truth in your worldview, right? I really appreciate your resistance to violence and your, your distaste for human suffering, but I think you're wrong about the solutions to those things. And I've actually had that conversation, and it was an excellent conversation with a fellow that I knew who was a Buddhist. And traditional inclusivism allowed us to do that. We were able to build bridges to work towards a common good and then critique each other's perspectives and have dialogue about that. But what I think we are all seeing a lot less these days is that kind of dialogue. Um, I, I'm hearing a lot less of this word tolerance. And now it's almost like all of us are scared to have those conversations where we know we'll disagree because it's like if we challenge someone or a, 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 in some way or we disagree with something they believe, it's like it's experienced as a personal attack. And so what happens, what I think we're seeing more of is, is people walking on pins and needles and making passive aggressive comments on social media, right? Um, and that's because today, I think what's happened is our inclusivism has moved from traditional inclusivism into something I would call existential inclusivism. It's a big word, let me explain it. Uh, New Age thinking has been really influential here. Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, these guys represent um, the religious perspective of existential inclusivism, and, and it says this, on the deepest questions of human existence, nobody has all the truth. On the deepest questions of human existence, nobody has all the truth. In other words, when it comes to the existential questions, meaning, morality, origin, destiny, um, we, we believe that nobody has it all figured out. We believe that there actually isn't a truth that can be known and that there are merely different paths to the same ultimate reality of God or whatever transcendent thing actually exists. And if any of you all took a comparative religions course in, at university, um, 
Existential inclusivism is the example of the blind man and the elephant. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I don't have time to get into it. But, but the idea is that everybody's got a piece of the reality of the elephant, but nobody can see the whole thing. And so, so the logic then follows here. Who are you, a blind man, to challenge someone else because you don't know the full truth? You don't have the full truth. Who are you to make a truth claim when nobody's got the full truth? Uh, which, ironically, is actually the assertion of a total truth claim, which I'll get to in a minute. But, but that's the idea, and that's where we've come from. That's the, the, the ideas underneath it, and that's where we, we've been taken. We're in this place where we can't even talk because we have this underlying assumption that nobody, how arrogant are you to believe that you know what the truth is? And I want to say I really do believe that uh, existential inclusivism comes from a place of good intention. At its heart, I think what's happening is that people are trying to be loving, respectful of one another, live at peace. And in our globalized plural world, we've got to do that, okay? Here in this community, Manville, Pearland, Iowa Colony, around here, we've got to, to live at peace and respectfully with our differences. And in my son Jesse's third grade class, there, I, I think that there, of 15 kids, there are eight different cultural backgrounds, probably five or six different religious worldviews. And I want my son growing up learning to respect and, and, and seeking understanding of those, those kids and their perspectives. I want Jesse to listen and learn from those people. I want him to make friends with those people. However, I do not want him thinking that nobody is right uh, or that right doesn't exist because the logic underneath that is, is not good and, and it's not helpful, and, and, and here's why. Truth is exclusive. Truth is exclusive. Truth is by nature exclusive. Christianity is not exclusive because it's trying to be mean, but because it's making a truth claim. There is a simple logic at play here, and once you see it, it's actually going to be hard for you to stop seeing it. Um, you cannot assert that a thing is true without asserting that anything in contradiction is false. Okay? Anytime you say this is true, implied in that statement is that other things are, are false. And I'll give you a very simple example to start. I cannot look at an animal on a leash next to a person in a park and say that's a dog without at the same time implying it is not a cat. Because why would you ever have a cat on a leash in the first place? <laughs> no, but, but don't miss the fact there that, that that's actually a truth claim being made. Uh, that, that, that you're saying the nature of that animal next to you is that it's a dog and not a cat. Here's another example. Ramp this up a little bit. If, I was, if a person was to say recycling is the best option for the environment, what they are also implying there in that truth claim is that putting trash in a landfill is not the best option for the environment. You can't make the claim that one thing is best or true without making a statement about the other things that is exclusive. And that's because truth by its nature is exclusive. And, and, and let me now give an example that I, that I hope will really clarify um, some things. Consider a situation where two people are the exact same in every single way. 
Um, all the variables of their life are the same and will be the same going forward. And they are both diagnosed with the exact same disease. Okay, and so a doctor comes in and says to them, I think you guys are very ill, and the only way that you're going to heal from this disease is if you take this medicine and these pills. And he offers them these pills. And person A says, okay, I would be glad to uh, take those pills. I think you're right, doctor. I'm, I'm going to take them. And then he starts taking them. But person B says, no, doctor, I don't think that you're right. I don't, I don't agree with that. And I want to, to try to heal through dietary changes. Right? And the doctor says, I really don't think that's a good idea. I, I think that you're risking your life. I don't think it is going to work. Uh, but person B says, no, doctor, I want to do this. And the doctor says, it's your choice. One year later, person A is totally healed. One year later, person B is deceased. Diet changes did not work. He was not healed. He did not listen to the doctor. The diet didn't deal with the truth of his condition. And because of it, he was excluded from healing, right? And the reason is, is because the truth is exclusive. And I know that's a strong example, but it's one that I think can make this real for us. Because when you and I are really sick, what, what we don't want is a doctor who's going to tickle our ears and give us a misdiagnosis. If we're terminally ill, we want a doctor who's going to say, this is the situation, you need to get better, and this is how you do it, right? What, what we are saying to the doctor, we don't care how nice they are or what they, what they think. We want to know the truth about the situation because we know if we don't get the right kind of medicine, medicine we won't survive. And that's because the truth by nature, is exclusive. And in Christianity, what we believe is that God has told us the truth about ourselves and about our world, that we are sick with sin and going to die, and that the world is sick and, and it's all uh, headed in the wrong direction. However, because of Jesus, there is healing hope, new life in his sacrificial death on the cross, which forgives our sins, which defeats the curse of death and starts making us new from the inside out. We either believe that truth and put our trust in Jesus to be healed, or we don't. And we exclude ourselves from that understanding of the world and that medicine and that healing. It's that simple. In Acts uh, 4.12, it, it kind of says it in a very clear way. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under, under heaven given to mankind by which we must, we must be saved, right? That's why Christianity is exclusive. Here's the next really important thing I want to say. Christianity actually is radically inclusive. It is radically inclusive. Jesus may have uh, asserted that he was the truth, but the scripture says he was also absolutely full of grace in that truth. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. And, you know, we Christians may not be so good at holding those things together, but we sure want to be because Jesus was one who was incredible at this. He was so full of grace and truth. And, uh, and, and in his commitment to the truth, he was regularly extending God's grace and invitation to all people across all sorts of boundaries. 
prostitutes, he let her wash his feet with her hair, right? A a backstabbing tax collector, he called him to be his disciple. A woman from the wrong ethnicity having multiple affairs, Jesus calls her out, but then invites her into a new life, and she becomes one of the first people to share the good news. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus not caring who you are, what you did, where you came from. He was extending God's grace and mercy into your life, and he, he crossed all the boundaries that people had put up, right? And, and he fought against people who tried to exclude you from God's grace and love, uh, he, he was always radically inclusive. And, and that, that is the way that he lived, but it's, it's the message that really extended all the way to the cross. Think about the ways that the Bible talks about uh, salvation. Second Peter 9.11 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is Peter talking about how God is taking his time and making all things new and, and sending Jesus to come again because the reason God, God is, is doing that is because he doesn't want anybody to die in, in their sins. He wants them to know Jesus' saving grace. That's an inclusive statement about salvation that, that absolutely is, is, is incredible and was incredible in his day. How about John 3.16, one of our favorite verses, right? For God so loved the world, the entire world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? The whole world God loved for the reason that he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins was because he loved everyone in the world that much that whoever, no qualifiers there, whoever believed in him would have eternal life. And let me note, as exclusive as Jesus' statement was that he was the way and the truth and the life, equally strong in its inclusivity is this statement about salvation. God so loved the world that whoever believed in him would not perish. That, too, is an unqualified, unconditional statement whosoever believed on the inclusive side. doesn't matter who you are, what you have done. Uh, if you believe, if you can trust Jesus, you are welcomed into the church and among the company of those of us who are being saved, right? And so, dear skeptic, uh, before I think any of us look at the exclusivity of Christianity, we have to see the invitation of the cross because it speaks louder than any of those things. I want to close with one quick story. I mentioned that I spent a summer um, in Egypt. And while I was there, I was invited uh, for a week to go down um, to uh, a village in central, in central Egypt along the Nile River. And, um, and I went down alone. Um, and, and I was hundreds of miles from any other white person. <laughs> And I was absolutely terrified, but it was one of the most wonderful, amazing experiences of my entire life. And, and I remember I was led around by this pastor, and he had two guys that would always walk with us. And these were big, strong Egyptian guys, and they didn't really say much, except that one night, as we were coming back to where we were staying, one, one of these big guys kind of just came over to me and, um, and looked at the pastor who would translate and, 
and and he and he said this, David, do you think that I can be forgiven? Do you think that Jesus loves me? And um, it was kind of a shocking question. Uh, just walking, I was tired, um, and I had been talking about this, uh, and and so I was like, yeah, I do. Um, absolutely, that's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins because. You can be forgiven. You are forgiven. And Jesus loves you so much that he sent, that, 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 that God sent Jesus to do that. And, um, and I said, why, why are you asking? And this guy, this big guy, kind of, of teared up. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, David, I, I agree. I was uh, born and orphaned by my parents. I've killed two people. And... Um, because of God's grace, I was received into this community of the church. And because of Jesus' death, I've been forgiven. And I know that Jesus loves me and died on the cross for my sins. And I, I'll never forget that story and that man. And it as an incredible illustration of God's beautiful, inclusive heart. Uh, that Jesus truly did die on the cross for all people to bring us home to be part of a family, to know that we are loved. And I just, I just pray that we as a church can help all people know that truth. Um, would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for the fact that people like my friend from Egypt can know your grace and your love and find a family and a home and experience uh, belonging. And Lord, I just pray that as we hold fast to the truth, Lord, that we would lead with grace and love, that we would be equally strong in our commitment to, to showing all people the way and the truth and the life, Lord, and, and, and that we would be known by the love that you've put in our lives and we have for each other and for the world, Lord. Pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.